Well, we found that the group that were constantly handled with neutral or positive interactions, such as opening the gate for more food, the animal would associate human being with something positive, right? And also every time that they came to the corral, the handling was pretty good because the stock people, they had a trainings in low stress cattle handling. So the handling was pretty good. So those animals, they have much less reactivity compared with the other group. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. DSM Furmanish. Mycotoxins can threaten feed and cattle performance. DSM Furmanish offers a portfolio of solutions to help mitigate the impact of mycotoxins in your feed. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. Hi, welcome to the Beef Podcast. I am Brad White, one of your hosts. And as always, we try to bring you the experts leading the beef industry to give you new information that will help you and your operation. And today, we're lucky to have Maria Camelia Cabajos. Close? No? Not close? Tell <laughs> So, Maria Camila Ceballos. Ceballos. I still don't have it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's, I know it's difficult. So, well, welcome, Maria. We're, gl we're glad to have you here on the, on the program with us because you're an expert in, and have worked in a lot of areas, animal welfare, animal behavior, the relationship between humans and animals. And we want to hear about some of your research. But first, tell, tell us a little bit about you. Well, my name is Maria Camila Ceballos. Uh, I am assistant professor of animal welfare and behavior at the University of Calgary. And my main research file is um, finding strategies to improve the quality of life of captive animals, mostly production animals. So I have done a lot of work with beef cattle, uh, some work with pigs, and a few work with a few other species such as poultry, rabbits, goats. But my main species are cattle, and now I am entering a little bit more on pigs too. We have a time and labor-saving product for you. Beef and Dairy Agrislat by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With Beef and Dairy Agrislat, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year, and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. So as you tell, tell us a little bit about your background, your education, if you would. Sure. I am an animal scientist. I graduated in Colombia from the National University of Colombia. I did master's and PhD at the Sao Paulo State University. Then I did a postdoc in uh, animal welfare at the University of Pennsylvania. And then I came here as uh, an assistant professor. 
Excellent. And I, and I know a lot of the, the stuff you've done and you've had some, I wanted to ask you about a couple of the things that you have published in the past because you've done some work kind of related to grazing and potential changes in animal behavior or how that modifies animal behavior. Tell, it, tell us a little bit about what you learned through that research. Well, uh, that research uh, was the like the first, it was my master's, right? And with that research where, where I felt like passionate about human-animal relationship, what we did was uh, evaluating the differences uh, in animal temperament, actually cattle temperament, right? Uh, that is a broad concept, but we focused mostly on cattle reactivity when they were being handled in, in, in facilities such as the corral. And we wanted to understand if the kind of system where the animals were uh, influenced uh, the cattle uh, reactivity, right? So we evaluated uh, animals that were in a system that they were only changed in pastures every 15 days, or animals that were in a intensive rotated system, which they were uh, changed every four days, right? And we evaluated them um, constantly. And we identified that animals that were handled more constantly with positive or neutral um, interactions with humans, right? Because every time that the animals saw the human being, mostly were when the human wa was opening a gate for a new pasture with much more food, right? And also the handling in the corral was pretty good. So those animals had uh, were much less reactive compared with the animals that were uh, in the pastures changed every 15 days. And they came to the corral only once every six months compared with the other one, which they were coming every month to do like weight control and adapt like uh, the the pastures, right? So, and, and they would come, so you had one group came once a month and one group that came very frequent or less frequently. Exactly. And then you, did you have one that would do, that was coming every four days, did you say? No, no, no. They were, the pastures were changed every four days. Pasture means pastures. every four days. And they exactly. came to the corral for waiting every month. Okay. And the other group, the pastor were changes every 15 days, but they came to the corral only once every six months. Gotcha. And so what did you, what did you find out when you compared those two? Well, we found that the group that were constantly handled with neutral or positive interactions, such as opening the gate for more food, the animal would associate human being with something positive, right? And also every time that they came to the corral, the handling was pretty good because the stock people, they had uh, trainings in low stress cattle handling. So the handling was pretty good. So those animals, they have much less reactivity compared with the other group. So was that, and that was, did you notice any difference in performance? I know you mentioned you took weights. Was there any difference in how, in how the cattle weighed? So yes, uh, uh, as I told you, this was part of my master's. I didn't publish the, 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 the weight 
uh, evaluation that we did, but it is in my thesis. And we, yes, we identified that the animals in, in the intensive rotative system, they gain more weight. However, we cannot say that it was only because of their reactivity, right? Because of course they were in a, in a system that were much better, uh, let's say controlled. So there is a lot more other characteristics of the system that may have influenced that. This is why we decided to not include that in, in that publication. Right, because the grazing system would be would have been different, as you described. Yes. They had much different access to grass through that through that process. So I think that's a, a really interesting study, but it ties into some of the other things that you've done relative to behavior welfare. The other the other one that I saw that you that you've published more recently was uh, talking about the train the level of training in the people and the interactions with those animals and how that how that worked. Tell, tell us a little bit about that project. Well, that is one of the projects that I have liked more. So what we did, uh, we had a project in the north of Brazil, right? And in that project, we had farms that had somebody training there. And we call it good handling practices, but let's say they were receiving trainings about animal behavior, about uh, how to better handle animals, identifying what is uh, what the animals perceive as good interaction and bad interaction, what are the effects of bad interaction with animals, right? And, and then we decided to evaluate uh, the difference between farms and stock people that had received training or not. So in this project, we had uh, stock people, different kind of stock people, right? Because this was part of, a, as I mentioned, a bigger project in Brazil that um, nine farms were participating. But because this bigger project had also trainings for the cattle association people. So from the region, the producers will send their stock people to those trainings as part of the project. So we wanted initially to um, compare animals, oh, sorry, uh, stock people that had training and stock people that didn't have training, right? Or farms that have constant training and farms that did not. But we identified because of this bigger pro project that there were a lot of people and farms that had people that were trained. So we needed to divide it in farms, three kinds of farms. Farms that have somebody training, ha farms that have at least one stock person that was trained, and farms that nobody was trained about good handling practices, right? And inside the farms, we had stock people that uh, were trained or received at least one training, independent if it was in the farm or outside the farm as part of this project. People that were training or were working with somebody that was trained, but they were not trained themselves. And people that didn't have any interaction with any training. And we identified, so we wanted to see if this information or this uh, access to training would influence stock people behavior, stock people attitudes, and the behavior of the animals, right? And the, and the welfare. Uh, why attitudes and behaviors? Because attitudes precede what 
the human being is going to do, right? There are different cognitive characteristics that will influence how a person will um, act or will behave, right? So we identified that stop people that received training, their attitudes uh, in front of animals and handling animals, cattle, right? Were better compared with people that have some interaction with somebody that was trained or with somebody that nobody oh, that had no interaction with training, right? Their attitudes were better. <clears throat> the attitudes, we identified positive attitudes and negative attitudes. So their positive attitudes were higher and their negative attitudes were lower compared with the other people, right? And that happened uh, exactly the same with their behavior because we went and we evaluated one day of handling of the animals uh, in one day of vaccination. And we identified that the people that were trained, they perform less negative behaviors compared with the other stork peoples and more positive behaviors. What we define as positive or negative behaviors, positive behavior was using the handling flag, but using it correctly, like applying all the concepts that need to be applied, like flight zone of the animal, and not hitting the animal, right? Touching the animals and performing low pitch vocalizations. And the negative uh, behaviors were poking and hitting the animals, high pitch vocalizations, twisting the tail uh, in a way that is painful to the animal. So that was uh, one of the answers. Another uh, very interesting result that we had is that the farms, now speaking about the farms, farms that had training, farms that had somebody that was trained or farms that nobody was trained or had any interaction. Those farms that uh, had not had any training, they had um, a decrease in their positive behaviors of the stock people handling the animals and increase in their negative behaviors along one day of handling. While in the other two farms, it was constant, right? And also those farms, the animals perform more undesirable behaviors, uh, such as trying to attack the, the people, they were more reactive, they also were uh, had much more accidents compared with the other two farms. So in general, the conclusion is that training stock people who is in charge to uh, handling the animals is a very good strategy to improve the welfare of both humans and animals. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's a, a great finding because it, it works on both sides. We're not just training it to improve the animal welfare. While that's important, we're also training it for the people. And as, as much as we have labor shortages and challenges finding people out there, giving that training at the start uh, can be useful. What what do you recommend? I know there's some good resources with the Beef Quality Assurance Program. Uh, what what do you recommend for training for people to, if somebody's listening and said, hey, I, I want to get some training for our employees, what, what would you recommend? Well, that, that is, so I am pretty new here in North America, right? So I have been only for three years. So 
I, that is a, one of the research lines that I want to develop more, right? So I know the beef quality assurance is one strategy. Uh, it is a strategy that is easier because uh, you can do it online. I think from our experience that uh, trainings with somebody giving practice, right, is a very good way to people to interiorize the information, right? Uh, so, for example, I am trying to um, write a, a grant uh, where I want to evaluate, for example, different ways to train in which are uh, more successful or better, right? Uh, but I mean, I, what I think is that here in North America, so people need first or producers, right, to be aware that training is very important, right? I mean, when the people, for example, they handle the animals in a wrong way, most of the time is not because they mean to be wrong. It's because it's the way that they have learned. So when they know that there are different ways to handle animals that probably will help both, it will make them change, right? Uh, and I am not saying that everybody is doing bad job, but sometimes uh, it could be improved, right? And also something that I want to emphasize, especially for me, that I work with animal welfare, right? And I focus a lot on, yes, uh, we should improve the welfare of the animals, is that we, when we speak about human-animal relationship, we also must focus on the person, right? It's not only forgetting, oh, yes, no, the animal should have and must have very good welfare, so you need to behave this way. If you are not giving the, somebody good conditions, it will be really difficult to ask them to do a job thinking in the welfare of the animal, if their welfare is poor. So when we speak about human-animal relationship, we, which is a very important factor influencing uh, productivity because there are several scientific studies demonstrating that human-animal relationship, especially negative human-animal relationship, influence uh, the animals because they get more fearful, they get more difficult to handle, and fear has been related to poor productivity, low gain weight, right, low pregnancy rates. Um, so, so this is very important. Yeah, and I think you hit on a really good point is the animal welfare is one of the things we're looking out for, but we have to put the people and the animals in the right situation, which involves facilities, it involves the training that you've got in the background, and, and to kind of the animal attitudes, as you illustrated from your previous study and some of your other work, with proper handling, the animals, it'll make everything a little bit easier. So instead of, instead of getting more, as you described it, the kind of the positive or negative attitudes, I was just glad you weren't looking at me when you said negative attitudes, but the positive or negative attitudes, you have uh, made some progress there to put them in the right situation. Now, some of, you, some of your ongoing research, I know you've been looking at some things, some, uh, you mentioned some environmental enrichment. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, but I when I mentioned you environmental enrichment, I was thinking about like my whole <clears throat> uh, research, right? 
the environmental yeah. enrichment that I am working right now is specifically with pigs. However, we are trying to make uh, that also for cattle. So I will speak just briefly to Don Deep a lot because right now what we have is for pigs. So this is a collaboration uh, project that I have with the University of Antioquia from Colombia. <clears throat> and there are different ways to enrich the environment of captive animals, right? Physical, where you will give things for the animal to do, for example, brushes for cattle. This is physical environmental enrichment, right? You can also give food, different kind of food. Uh, <clears throat> and there is one that is sensorial, right? And what we are trying to do is to create sounds or let's say species specific music, right? So we are identifying how animals react to different kind of uh, pieces of, we call music, right? Um, but let's say pieces of sound, right? And we are trying to identify which uh, are better understood for the animals. Again, this is being, we already did that in peaks, right? Uh, so we identified what kind of music they prefer, evaluating them, uh, how they react emotionally using a qualitative behavior assessment, which is a method that allows you to evaluate that. We created the music and we used that to see how that influenced stress responses, fight, uh, fight behavior, uh, also a little bit in meat quality in Colombia. Now we are trying to do that in Canada. Uh, we are now waiting for a fund that we apply for that. And in Colombia, we are now developing that for cattle, right? So let's see, maybe in the near future, we will have something similar for cattle too. So what kind of music do pigs like? Well, what we identified is because music has, is very complex, right? What we call music for humans, right? Is a, a sound that has a lot of different characteristics. It has a qualitative characteristics such as, for example, harmony. So harmony, it could be, the music could be consonant, dissonant, or lack of harmony, right? And about quantitative characteristics, we can speak about beats per minute, decibels, high uh, frequency, um, high frequency, I forgot, but it's something about high frequency. So there are a lot of things that also we can count on the music. So what we identify, uh, is that, for example, pigs, they, when they hear dissonant music, they get afraid. It generates negative emotions. Consonant music or music without harmony will let them to perform more positive or neutral emotions, right? Uh, and we also just published, uh, last year we published another paper where uh, you can see the specific or ranges of quantitative um, characteristics of the music, which right now is a lot of information that I don't remember, but but it, it is there in one of our publications. But in general, let's say that consonant musics, uh, pigs prefer more that kind of music. So the, so the, and that's music, that's what you described as music without harmony. No. Harmony is uh, harmony is related to the co if it is consonant or dissonant, right? But there are also 
pieces of music that could not have any of these two. So it is called Without Harmony. Gotcha. So more, and, and you said classical music? No, I didn't say classical. No. Uh, I say that there are pieces of music that have specific characteristics that pigs like more, for example, consonant music, right? And uh, okay. other, for example, uh, if you use, I don't remember, it's because I, if I speak right now, I, I may be wrong, but there are certain specific of quantity of instruments that they may like uh -huh. more, right? Okay. And this is why it is difficult right now because there is a lot of research now being done trying to identify the music. Oh, we put music and we put Mozart, right? But Mozart has his classical music, right? right. But they, Mozart has inside all his the pieces that he created has dissonant music, consonant music. He used more than X quantity of instruments. And we identified that there, there is a specific characteristic that animals don't, may don't like, right? This is why we speak and we reinforce that it is not as easy as, oh, we are going to put classical music because classical music could have a lot of characteristics that the animals may feel or understand in a way that is uh, can generate, for example, fear, right? So this is why we are trying to say it is better to identify what is better for them and create the pieces of sounds that will be good for them. Gotcha. That makes sense. And, and that's, uh, I think that's really good information because it's more than just saying, okay, they might like music. Let's turn on the radio. Right. I know, I know some, um, some things have been done on the dairy side where people have looked at different things and it just depends uh, what you look at, but you guys are a lot deeper into it. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. Um, you mentioned some of the other environmental enrichment. So the most common thing that I've observed on the cattle side is some of the brushes or things like that. Boy, they, they really like those. Are there other tools like that that we should be thinking of using in some of these operations? Well, uh, I, I, I am not, uh, expert in environmental enrichment for cattle, but what we always need to think about that environmental enrichment, like if any producer is going to use any environmental enrichment, think about the motivations or the needs that the animals have, right? Because the aim of an environmental enrichment is to enrich the place where the animals are and they have a little bit more control of the environment that they have. Right. So, for example, why brushes are very successful because uh, cattle, they have the need of scratch and they will scratch wherever they have the opportunity to scratch. So if they have the, the, the brush, they will, of course, scratch on the on the on the and the brush. Right. So, yes, the thing that we always need to have in mind before putting any environmental enrichment is what is the animal need? And what is the behavior? What is their biology? So I, I, I don't remember, but I think I, I saw, I started trying to use chains for cattle. But chains, <clears throat> chains, uh, it has been used in pigs. Pigs have a very explorative uh, uh, behavior 
right? And they used to explore everything with their mouths. So chains for pigs uh, is going to fulfill some of the behavioral needs that they have that is exploration, right? Now for cattle, when have you seen cattle, for example, exploring things that are, they maybe will be able to, uh, how do you say, if you put a brush for it, I am a brush, no, a brush, like I am thinking about, because I work in silvopastoral systems in Colombia, and that kind of system has three strats, pastor, yeah. brushes, and trees. And they always will, uh, how do you say, eat the brushes, right? Yeah, they'll be licking them, yep. Uh, but chains, I am not sure, is a good way to try to explore. But, I mean, we are in a, in a research file where we want to find a strategy, so... If you find that it's not useful, then you may go to something else that is useful, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's why we do research, and it's good to have people like you exploring some of those different ideas. And, and I like the way you put it is the you basically have to understand the animal needs that they're trying to fulfill through that and then craft backwards from there instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to put this in their environment. What, what, do you have any other research topics you wanted to share with us or any, any other behavioral insights that might be useful? Well, right now, um, I, we started working in uh, indicators of pain, right? So with one of my PhD students, uh, we, are, we actually have already developed a grimace scale. A grimace scale is a, a scale that is composed by by different facial action units, right? Facial action unit is, for example, uh, if the opening of the eyes, if the mouth is open or not, uh, this muscle here, right? Uh, so we cr are created already uh, a grimace scale to identify pain in angus beef calves. Now we are at the stage of validating the scale, which includes different steps, like evaluating its reliability, if it is valid, its sensitivity. Uh, but right now we identified that this grimace scale that we created is able to, uh, is responsive to pain. So we are able to identify if the animal is in pain or not. But we also created a, a, like a method where we can also identify stress, right? So uh, the animal, pass in different circumstances where they were in pain, but also they were in a kind of a stress. For example, calves, when they are separated with their moms, they get a stress, right? But they are not in pain, physical pain, right? Or chronic pain. So we identified, and we also see that this grimace scale is also able to identify stress. But now we want to see up to which score of this the scale we can differentiate between chronic pain and stress. So now this is an ongoing project that we are doing. And in the near future, we will have very good um, results, I think. That's excellent, because I think that's one of the real challenges with some of the research. All of us realize the importance of pain and stress, but there's two different physiologic pathways. There's some overlap. 
But being able to distinguish between those two certainly influences how we want to handle it. And the degree of both pain and stress also influences what can we do to mitigate it. So I think you're, it's a good area of research if you can come up with a system that allows to quantify and especially looking at some of those facial measurements is what's been done in other, in other species and being able to tell some of those differences. That would be very, very interesting. It's time for our famous three. So as we, and I've really enjoyed visiting with you, Maria, as we kind of wrap up, I've got a couple questions for you that are a little bit different. So we'll, we'll ask you a little bit about some of the things that you learn and where you find them. So our first question is, if, if you want to find, what's your go-to resource if you want to find information about the beef industry? So is it website, podcast, a book, uh, something that you enjoy, your favorite resource if you want to go look something up about beef? Well, I go normally on websites like a specific now that I am in Canada, for example, I go through different magazines of cattle. I research a lot. They, for example, beef cattle research council information. They have a very good information about, uh, about the beef industry here. As I mentioned, like I am pretty new. I came from South America for me, North America production system was, everything new, like everything that I have was from the tropics. So I came with a lot of ideas that were super good for the tropic. But then like, hmm, Maria, at that time, we are at minus 30 degrees. And I'm like, oh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, this cattle association and, and research uh, ways to to learn about the industry uh, have helped me a lot. To be honest, I, I did, well, actually I, I have heard one podcast uh, and now that I see that are also like podcasts with videos, I will start consuming this information too. <laughs> yeah, excellent. And, and that's a great way to get some, especially as you're, you're traveling or doing other things. But I think your your point that you brought up there a lot of the beef industry, even within North America, is very geographically dependent, right? Exactly. So we're relying on rainfall and grass on the cows and other things on different stages. So great point. Yeah. So uh, if, if what's your favorite book or resource or what do you use for getting information that's not, not necessarily agriculture or beef specific? I am trying to think... Because I, I read different things depending on the mood, right? So if yeah. I am like happy, I will read literature that is not about anything about my research or anything like soap operas, right? Yeah. Uh, if I am in the mood that is not very nice, then I will read something different. So it depends. It depends a, a lot on the mood, yes. Excellent. So uh, last question for you, when you see someone that is successful in the beef industry, what are some of the characteristics that you see that is common for those people that are successful in the beef industry? So what is it about them that you think made them successful? I think that the, 
the the thing that I see on those people is that they are making applicable research that is useful for producers. I think that is one of, of the things that I always think when I am thinking about an idea, right? Like, okay, I'm going to do something to improve the wealth of, of, the, of beef cattle. Okay, what can I do that the producer, I, with the result of my research, the producer will be able to use the information. So I see that those researchers that have been successful, most of the time, they do things that are applicable for the industry. Of, and I am not saying that who works in basic is not important. It's super, extremely important, right? Uh, but that is one of the things that I see from the researchers that are successful in the beef industry. They do things that, at the end, the result is useful for the producer and the producer can say, oh, okay, this researcher found this, I am going to try this. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I think that's the, that's one of the great things about having some of that applied research and some of the stuff that you've done, I could see take homes and everything that you shared with us today that, that would be of value to many producers. So thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. And I, I really enjoyed visiting with you and thanks for joining the Beef Podcast. I, I thank you for the invitation. I am happy to be here and to share a little bit about what I am doing. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business. Thank you.